now, and we are going to continue our study of the words in red, and um, in Matthew 28, verses 19 through 20, we have a word in red that we consider quite important because we call it the Great Commission. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. We've even designed our West Ark mission statement around that. As you're leaving and you see this banner right here, or if you want to look at it, it's right there, Making Disciples for Jesus. That's why we do all of this. This isn't just a Sunday morning uh, worship show or worship club, but we're encouraging one another. We are celebrating God because we know that He has loved us and sent His Son, and so we are eager to tell others about it. We are making disciples. We are living out our lives as disciples. We call it the Great Commission. We might very well call it the Prime Mission Statement in Matthew 28. But did you know that there's another Great Commission? There's another Great Commission that actually predates this one. It's a word from Jesus, so it is words in red. And I want to share that with you this morning, and I'll explain to you why it's likely to be called an other great commission. You'll find it in Matthew 9, and it's just a few verses. There's a moment where Jesus makes a disciple, and I want to read that to you now. As Jesus continued on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at a booth for collecting taxes. Jesus said to him, follow me. And he got up and followed him. As Jesus sat down to eat in Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners joined Jesus and his disciples at the table. But when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why Does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard this, he said, Healthy people don't need a doctor, but sick people do. Go and learn what this means. I want mercy and not sacrifice. For I didn't come to call the righteous, but the sinners. The reason why we call it the other Great Commission is because just as the Great Commission says, go and make disciples, here Jesus uses that same structure of language to say, go and learn. And when he's saying to learn, it's the same word as making a disciple, more or less, same basic word family. Because a disciple is a learner. And so he wants these Pharisees to be disciples. He wants them to learn the meaning of the Old Testament Scripture, I want mercy and not sacrifice, which you'll find in Hosea chapter 6. Follow me. A disciple is very simply one who follows Jesus. We don't make disciples of one another to follow us, but we make disciples who follow us as we follow Jesus, who are all following Jesus. We are all in a great group following Him. This is why uh, in the early days of our movement, there was some 
question about, well, what should we call this group if we're just, if we're just going to be Christians? Some said, let's call them disciples, disciples of Jesus Christ. And that name still lives in certain places today. But Jesus goes up to a man named Matthew, who we're told is collecting taxes for the Roman Empire. He's there, he's got his booth set up. It's like a toll booth. He's just taking money. And Jesus says, follow me. Now, tax collectors are despised in that world. I don't know that they're, we're too fond of them in this world. But taxes are collected less by individuals and more by systems. But in those days, if you wanted to collect taxes, you had to get the license to do it. The empire, the government had to sell you the office of collecting taxes. And often that privilege was sold down the line two or three times. So that the Roman government commissioned someone, they commissioned some people, they commissioned some people, go get the taxes and then put on there a surcharge of whatever you need to make your living. And the wealthy were often the ones who were able to buy that privilege of being the tax-collecting group. And so the rich got richer and the poor got poorer. No wonder they were despised. But they were despised not only for those reasons. Keep in mind who they're working for. They're working for a government that has, in the mind of many people, invaded their land. They're working for a group of people who have taken over their cities. They're traitors. They're in with the enemy. They're corrupt. They're immoral. They're greedy. They are the wealthy oppressors who are in service to the Roman Empire. No wonder they're despised. Jesus recognizes Matthew who fits into that category. And it's obvious. He's not hiding it. He's in the booth where he's collecting taxes. What does Jesus see? What does Jesus see when he sees Matthew? He sees somebody who needs to learn a better way. He needs somebody who needs to follow him. Jesus sees a man who needs to learn. And Matthew follows and of course, giving in to this better way, giving in to this other way, what does he do? He wants to tell others about it. A disciple is also a fisher. Jesus calls his disciples to be fishers of men, to go out and share this with others and, and bring them in as well. Now, Matthew's going to start with his friends, right? Who do you think his friends are going to be? What sort of friends does a tax collector have? Someone who's despised. Somebody who's considered a traitor. Is he going to have Roman friends? Probably a few. Is he going to have friends who are not Jewish? Yeah. Is he going to have friends in the Jewish nation? Well, sure. And they're probably going to be considered traitors as well because they're cozying up at a table with somebody like Matthew. Really, all of his friends are going to generally be considered outcasts or opportunists. Because, hey, there's money being exchanged in the tax collector's world, right? Why not get in on the action? Why not sell services? That's going to be the crowd that shows up for dinner 
at Matthew's house. And along with all of those outcasts and opportunists come Jesus and his disciples. They enter into the home of a tax collector and they share a table with him and his guests. Now, do we understand how significant that is? We might take it for granted. Well, that's Jesus' job. It's what he's supposed to do. He's supposed to go out to those kind of questionable places because he's, he's sharing the gospel after all. Well, there's no easy way to do this. Jesus and his disciples cannot show up and accept the hospitality of Matthew and stand back and say, now listen, we really shouldn't be here. But we're going to show up just because you've invited us. It's not like that. Peter tries to do that in Acts chapter 10 when he goes to Cornelius' house, and the first word that he says is, you know I'm not supposed to be here. It's a good thing that the Holy Spirit set up the meeting. That it wasn't Peter's idea, it wasn't Cornelius' idea, but both of those men were being obedient to the Spirit. Jesus definitely knows the Spirit and gives the Spirit. And so he's there at this house, and he's participating, he's sharing in this. Because he sees a group of people in that house, a group of people who need to learn a better way. Who need to be told and invited, come follow me. You don't have to be outcasts. The world may think of you as an outcast, but you're not an outcast in the house of God. You don't have to be opportunist. There's an opportunity to follow a much better way. This is all a bit too much for the Pharisees who question it. Why would Jesus do that? I mean, think about it from the Pharisees' point of view. What kind of message is Jesus sending by going to Matthew's house? What's he trying to tell people? I mean, if he shows up there, then what's next? Whose house is he going to go to next? What sort of teacher tolerates or fellowships this kind of impurity? Is what the Pharisees are thinking. Because there's, a, there's people there who are ceremonially unclean. There's people there who do not participate in the way of Israel. There's people there who don't keep the practices. Why would Jesus then go there? And the Pharisees if they really do want to know the answer to that question, who do they ask? Not Jesus, but they ask his disciples on the side. Hey, why does your teacher go to the house of a tax collector? What's he thinking? Well, they don't even get the chance to answer that question. I mean, what would the disciples say? By the way, as an aside, Beware when you are asked questions about others, okay? All right, this is your bonus sermon. Are you ready for this? Take a note. When you're asked about me or whoever else, whatever it is, or somebody else, a friend of yours, and somebody else is asking you, and it seems like they're pinning you to the wall to ask you a question about them, beware. That's indirect, and as we will see in the weeks ahead, Jesus teaches us a better way of how to handle those things. But I'm going to give you a good answer that you can give. So if somebody comes up to you and says, hey, why is John Doe doing that? Just say, what did John Doe tell you when you asked him? And leave it at that. Now see, the, the, the disciples could have done that. Well, I don't know, Pharisees. What did Jesus say when you asked him. 
Or maybe the Pharisees are asking this question, not because they want an answer, but because they want to cast doubt. Because they want there to be some wonder. Yeah, why would Jesus do that? Maybe this isn't the best thing. Maybe this isn't the right idea. I wonder. I can see a guy like Judas maybe saying, hmm, maybe it's not such a good call. But Jesus will just speak for himself. He's going to teach his disciples a better way. And so his answer is, well, I'm going to help those who cannot help themselves. Jesus says, I am the physician who heals the sick. These people know that they need healing. They have admitted that. They know it because they're here. When I asked them to follow me, they may not have thought they had any hope. They're there to learn a better way. Maybe if they don't even know that they're there to learn a better way, they're going to hear that there is a better way. So Jesus gives the Pharisees an assignment. If you truly want to understand, then go and learn Hosea 6.6. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. And that's why this is the other great commission. Jesus sees the Pharisees asking this question, not directly to him, but to his disciples. He knows their motives. He knows what they're up to. And what Jesus sees are not Pharisees who really deserve an answer to his question, but he sees people who need to learn a better way, even in the Pharisees. And if they were willing to admit that they need healing too, then Jesus would be the good physician for them. But they think themselves the righteous. And that's the sickest life to live. You know, how did they do with that assignment? When he said, go and learn what this means, do you think they did? Well, we're actually given the answer to that a few chapters later. Comes a day when Jesus' disciples are out plucking grain on the Sabbath. They're just in the field taking whatever they can right there and, you know, eating that. That's how they're feeding themselves. And the Pharisees come up and call them out on that. Hey, 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 you're doing what's not lawful on the Sabbath. Quick question, let me ask you. Let me ask any of you right here. You can just shout out your answer. What's wrong with that? What's wrong with what they're doing? What are they doing on the Sabbath that they shouldn't be? Working, exactly. They're working. That much is work. I'm, I'm plucking grain. Well, work is work. You know, we don't make distinctions. Don't work on the Sabbath. Should have thought about this the day before. And what is it that they're ignoring when they're looking at the Sabbath violation? Yeah. The Lord of the Sabbath, and they're also overlooking the, nat- the hunger of the men. They have no mercy for the human need. And Jesus tells them, you flunked the test. You flunked the project. If you had known what those words meant, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, then you would have been more concerned. You might have even brought your food and shared your food with those who are hungry instead of tagging them for doing what they should not have done. Jesus gives a few examples. Uh, David and his men took the showbread. You know, you've got all these other examples. But the point is, they failed the test of mercy. And they condemned the innocent. 
And so it is when we get caught up in the procedural and the religious. And God is not impressed at all when we focus so intently on following the rules so hyper-focused that we neglect things like mercy. You're going to see some other words in red very soon in the upcoming weeks where Jesus tells us that we can't ignore the things that He commands us or we can't keep the things that He commands us and then ignore these greater things along the way. It's really pretty sad when you realize how much they failed how far they missed it. That they resort themselves to just calling out some hungry disciples who are doing nothing more than plucking little kernels of grain to have a, it's like sunflower seeds. In fact, even some of the Pharisees would say, well, that's not really work because that's not enough food to worry about. But in this case, you've got the ones who say, oh, no, that is too far. And yet, understand, they've missed mercy, and they've missed recognizing the Lord of the Sabbath. Last week when we looked at the words in red from Luke 10, Jesus asked the question, which one of these was a neighbor to the man who encountered thieves? He was following up on his story about the Samaritan. And the legal expert said, the one who demonstrated mercy, and Jesus gave a commission, then go and do likewise. Go and learn what this means. I want mercy and not sacrifice. When we come to the table, we can't come as the righteous by our own effort. We are made right. We are made clean by the blood of Jesus Christ. It is a gift that is given to us. This table that we're being invited to is a gift. We are invited as guests. We are never the host. Jesus looks at us and He sees people who need to learn a better way. And when you come and sit at this table, you may find people who are your Matthew. People who you think, hey, wait a second, that's a tax collector. I'm not sure they should be here. Get invited to a, a big party, a big house. Go in there and go to the dinner table and then walk right up to the host of that dinner party and say, hey, why'd you invite them? I don't think they should be here. See how well that goes for you. Maybe it's better to just be grateful that you're there. Maybe it's better to focus on the host. The Pharisees are so sinful they don't even realize it. They have the plank in their own eye and they're running around trying to pull the speck, the little grain of wheat, out of the eyes of others. Because they haven't learned what God meant when He said, I want mercy. Not your little rule-keeping sacrifices but mercy. There is mercy at the table of the Lord. 
we're shown that mercy. You and I, week after week, are invited to experience the mercy of God all over again. We keep this in remembrance of Him and the lessons He teaches us and the mercy that He shows us. So it's in that spirit that I say, welcome to the table of the Lord and may we show mercy when we know how much mercy God has given us. Let us sing praise.